Hey everybody, today we're talking about identity and we're going to talk about kind of what identity is, how it's formed and obviously most people would agree that identity does or at the very least can change over time. The question becomes how much of an influence can we have in our own identity as it changes? Can we, in the snap of our fingers, change our identity? Like how much of a say do we have in who we are and how we identify? So, folks, let's get right into it, because I know I can start this off long and build it up, but let's just give you the answer that you're looking for. What is identity? When I say what you identify as, what comes to mind? You could talk about different roles in your life. You could talk about the fact that you're a student or that you are a cashier. You can talk about your ethnicity. You can talk about your religion. I am a Christian. I am a wife. I am a sister, I am a brother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a girlfriend, I'm a gymnast, I'm a tennis player. So these things shape our identity. Not to mention things that we may not have chosen. So when you're in a car crash, could that shape your identity? If you're in some sort of traumatic event, if something terrible happened to a loved one around you, could that influence your identity <clears throat> in other words our identity and I know I'm oversimplifying but just for right now our identity can largely be thought of the combination of actions that we do and things that have happened to us okay hold that thought I'm talking to a relative of mine <clears throat> And he does judo, or he's a judoku practitioner. And I said, listen, if you told me you've been doing judo every once in a while, very casually, I'd say you're a guy who does judo. But I said, that's not the case with you. You've been doing judo five to six days a week, every single day for the last 10 years. You're not just some guy who does judo. You're a judo practitioner. You're a martial artist. And those two are fundamentally different things. One is a thing you do. One is, is it's an inseparable part of who you are. Now that can be applied to almost any hobby or anything that we engage in. You can be a wine connoisseur, you can be a gymnast. It's the difference between saying, I'm a guy who likes to play tennis versus I'm a tennis player. I play every week, four days a week. Right, so what does that mean to you? You do something so much, you engage in it so much, it begins to change your habits, your competencies in that world, and therefore the beliefs you have about yourself and in relation to other things. A long time ago, I, I kind of gave this idea of like when you're playing a video game, maybe you start off as a level one, you don't do anything. And then you defeat a dragon. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a guy who by accident defeated a dragon. And once you get to level 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, now you've got this badass armor and you've got the cool weapons. And now you become the dragon slayer. You're not just a guy who killed the dragon. No, like you're the dragon slayer. You, you slayed this beast and that beast. It changes who you are. Why? Because you did something that you from a couple years ago hadn't done or didn't even think was possible. What happens when someone who doesn't have any confidence goes out and does something that only a confident person could do? What does that say about you? 
What happens when your partner in a relationship cheats on you? She engages or he engages in an act of infidelity. What does that do to the way you see her? Because it's not just the behavior. Like, the behavior is atrocious in one sense, but on the other, it's identity. That identity that you've built of this person as trusting and loyal and reliable and honest, what happens to her identity or his identity when they engage in that behavior? It changes your perception of their identity. So when we engage in behaviors, both in the perceptions of ourselves and in the perceptions of others, we influence who we are. If you're waking up at 5 in the morning to work out before your regular shift from Monday to Friday, what do you think about that in terms of identity? You might think of traits such as commitment, disciplined, driven, ambitious, health-conscious. And if we stop engaging in those behaviors, if that individual takes a step back, how do you think they look at themselves? Maybe less disciplined, lazy, lost, directionless. Now that doesn't mean it's black or white, you're either one or the other, but it's recognizing how the actions we engage in, our habits, the things that we do every day, they define who we are. And I love this part of the conversation because it's so empowering, right? What, what it sounds like, it's, oh, Daniel's saying, if I change what I do every day, like, I'm not a smart person. Okay, sit with that thought for a second. What is a smart person to you? Is it handling certain math equation? Is it being able to do the taxes on your own? Is it being street smart? Are you talking about learning a certain skill? Well, if I do that thing, or if I engage in behaviors that I think smart people do, guess what happens to your identity? It's like, I'm a slob and I don't want to be. Well, okay. If you weren't a slob, what would you be doing? Well, I'd tidy my bed and I'd pick the clothes up off the ground and I'd make sure I put my toothbrush back in the same spot that I found it and I'd make sure I don't throw my clothes on the ground. Like, okay. You want to change your identity? You know what people would do if they weren't a slob There it is. Now here's the part where it gets the unfortunate truth. When you look at all those videos that tell you how to become confident, you just got to do this, you got to go ask out a hundred girls, this and that. The problem with that is our identity is also shaped by things that have happened to us or by situations or circumstances that we found ourselves in. For example, if you grew up in a household that, let's not use the word abusive, but that taught you some things that were not healthy growing up. For example, anytime you spoke about, a, about something good that happened to you, an accomplishment that you made, it was shut down. People told you it wasn't that big of a deal. You weren't patted on the back, so then you learn to not talk about your accomplishments as much. You learn to kind of keep it in. Maybe it teaches you, oh, I'm a quiet person. 
That's just who I am. I prefer to be quiet. I don't like sharing. Like, really, you don't like sharing? Or is it because the way that you grew up, when you said something, when you shared something, it was met with hostility and disdain and disinterest, which then taught you to be quiet. I'm a quiet person. Like, hmm. Okay. Does genetics play a role? Absolutely. But does our environment and the way we were raised shape our identity without a freaking doubt? So largely, we are who we are because of the things that have happened to us. Because of certain traumatic events. Because of certain good events. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people saying, look, some of the most memorable interactions for people was when a person in a position of power, a gymnastics coach, a high school teacher, a parent, a friend's parent, patted someone on the back, looked at them in the eyes and said, hey, good job. That was awesome. And they felt some sort of support, some sort of rapport. And what do you think that does to a young person when the adults in their life are smiling and cheering them on and giving them a thumbs up? When you feel that support, what do you think that does to your identity? You go, well, I must be a likable person. Or I must be good at X because, you know, so-and-so that I respect and hold so highly is patting me on the back. The tough thing to wrap our heads around is if our identity is shaped by the things that happen to us. Like, imagine... You divorce because your wife leaves you or imagine you lose your job like that's something that happens to you you go from being employed to being unemployed it's pretty disempowering right it's something that happened to me that wasn't in my control and i've lost a part of who i am what happens when you love your job and you identify with it and then you get fired you're no longer the tennis coach. You're no longer the lawyer. It's not just, oh, well, I, I don't make that much money anymore and I don't get to see the guys at work. No, no, no. This part of your identity has been removed. What happens when parents lose their only child? Folks, they're no longer parents. The man who became a father is no longer a father. So amongst these horrific things, losing someone in your life, what happens when a brother loses a sister? He's no longer a brother. He doesn't have a sister anymore. So on top of the atrocity of the event in and of itself, on top of that, you have to think about what that does to your identity. If you get fired from a job, you're no longer that lawyer. If you lose a loved one, that connection that you had is severed. And you're no longer the same person that you were prior to the incident. So the question becomes, how can we change identity? If identity is formed by the things that happen to us, and the actions that we seek. The 
maybe more obvious thoughts to go, well, let's focus on what we can do. Let's focus on what we can control. Here's why it's very, very, very hard to change identity. When things happen to us, beliefs are cemented in our brain in relation to our mindset, whether you know about growth or fixed mindset, about self-efficacy, and general beliefs about the world and about people and about ourselves. The world is a good or bad place. Other people are, are mostly good. Other people are manipulative and deep down they're just smiling just so they can get something from you. I am not good enough or pretty enough or tall enough or I don't make enough money or I'm not the dream girl that he wants, whatever it may be. So when we have an identity, it's generally because we've cemented these beliefs. And now the tricky thing is, when we look out into the world, we see evidence which confirms the beliefs that we already hold. So if I think that most people are out to get me and they're scumbags and they just smile to be polite, I'm not going to notice that guy helping that little old lady across the street. What I am going to notice is that this car honked at that car twice. It's almost like we put blinders on and we don't see any evidence that's contradictory to our own beliefs, which further makes it harder to change the identity that we've established. And the last thought, good people, I will leave you with is this. What are some beliefs in your life? Think about two beliefs for each of these. Ready? What are two beliefs you have about yourself? Write them down. What are two beliefs you have about people? About people in general? Are they good? Are they bad? What are some assumptions you make? What are two beliefs you have about the world? And this is difficult, but take a step back. And I want you to try to find evidence which shows the opposite. I'm not saying that your beliefs are wrong or that you should change them. The whole point is that we take a step back and we go, look, there's two sides to every story. And I want you to recognize this bias that we have where if we have a certain belief, we're more likely to come across information or evidence that supports that belief rather than the opposite. When the internet, when social media, when Instagram finds out you like a post, guess what? They're not going to show you the opposite. They show you more of that post that you like because they don't want you to click off. So do that, folks. Do that. It's a nice exercise. It'll open up your eyes. It'll make you aware of your biases. Besides that, good people, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Bye-bye.